Several years ago, I was asked to be a part of a radio talk show, kind of a debate format. It was called The God Squad. And on The God Squad, there was a Jewish rabbi, a Catholic priest, and a Baptist pastor. I was the Baptist pastor. And they walked into a bar. No, this, <laughs> it sounds like that, doesn't it? So when I was on this show, it was interesting. We, we, we debated a lot, of course, about religion, about God, about morality, about politics. And it went on for almost, I think about, about an hour and a half. And we had more than one rendition of the God Squad back in the day. And during the course of one of the conversations, I said, well, it's interesting because since Freud, referring, referring to Sigmund Freud, since Freud has won the day, then da, 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 da. So I just said it as a passing comment. And that later, that later that week, I got a letter from the rabbi. And he was commenting on the remark I made about Freud, and he sent me a newspaper article which he was pushing back. So I, I wrote him back. I said, dear rabbi, thank you for the article from the Chronicle and, and, and talking about the shift in psychology. I do not disagree with you as to the shift away from counseling to chemicals in treatment. I was, however, on a different track entirely. So we, we didn't really connect. We weren't talking about the same thing. Here was my point. My point was that we live in a therapeutic culture where we no longer define right and wrong as we did when the Judeo-Christian worldview dominated the cultural landscape. Though people today may know little about Freud, the daily use of his vocabulary and his categories uh, are, are common and people do it without even thinking. That is true power. I look forward to our next God Squad. Sincerely, Ben Young. So what's interesting about that is, well, first of all, the rabbi and I became friends after that. But the point I was making is still rings true today even more so. And that is that Freud has won the day. We use his concepts, we use his categories, and even his understanding of answering the fundamental question, what is a human being and what gives us happiness really has been answered in our culture, so to speak, and it's affected all of us by Sigmund Freud. And I would say this, is that some of the dangerous things about Freud's ideas and others that are have become almost assumptions in the world we live in today. The dangerous thing is deception. It's deception. Because all that's bubbling up in our culture and in politics today, all that's bubbling up and it's all around us on the internet and on social media, all this stuff and some of the grievances and some of the complaints and some of the needs that are brought out, brought out, some of them are true, but some of them are not true. They're half-truths. They're deceptive. We've been looking the past few weeks about three big questions that people are asking, most of us are asking, who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference can I make? Questions about identity, questions about belonging and community, and questions about meaning and purpose. Now, God's word has a lot to tell us and to teach us 
about the power of deception and how I believe we're able to discern and to see things more clearly. Now, the book that we're looking at to get some answers from is the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians, open your Bibles there. It's the only book in the New Testament that begins with the letter E. I think there's some several books in the Old Testament, right? That begin with E. E, Ecclesiastes, right. Esther. Don't want to forget Esther. Don't want to get in trouble, Esther. Ezra, Ezekiel, yeah, yeah there are a lot. But in the New Testament, let's turn to e, Ephesians. It reminds me, speaking of E, the letter E. By the way, this sermon is brought to you by the letter E in the number three. So E, when I first moved to Houston in 78, there was a player on the Rockets. I think he played for the Rockets then. He started off with the, the Baltimore Bullets. His name was Elvin Hayes. They called him the Big E. How many remember Elvin Hayes, the Big E? Raise your hand for the Big E. And here's what was great about the Big E and people who have kind of cool names like that is whenever E would get the ball when he played at U of H or the Rockets, whenever E would get the ball, the entire crowd would go, Y'all need some espresso. Let's try that again. The entire crowd will go, E. I just love that. Of course, Elvin Hayes is in the Hall of Fame, but we're turning to the book of, let's say it together, Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verses 14, following. Guys, don't panic. We're only looking at two verses today. All right, here we go. You're gonna make it through. As a result, we are no longer to be children Sometimes we're to be childlike when we trust, but we're not to be children. Tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, the craftiness and the deceitfulness of scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Tossed about by waves, blown around by the trickery of people by deceitful, there's some truth and some reality, but a lot of lies and misinformation and scheming. We see a lot of that when we just pick up our phones and look at our feed. There's some things that are true, there's some things that are deceitful. When we look at news, some things are true, some things are deceitful. And we've been looking in the past weeks at what I see as a lot of deceit, if you would, as we've come to understand in our culture what makes someone human and how we answer the supposedly simple question, who am I? So, so we've gone from a sense of knowing who we are, this is who I am, to a point where we looked at last week where we have Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner saying, I am a woman because I feel like I'm a woman, though he is a man biologically in every other sense. How did we get from here to there? It seems like we got there like that, but as we've seen and learned, it happened over time. So, go back to the glass board here. Someone, as we were preparing for this message, erased my original drawings, and so 
Y'all bear with me, okay? I apologize, but we'll get there. Oh, it's the wrong side. This song, the rougher side erases better for some reason. It's like when you're scrubbing pans when you do the dishes, you know, that rough side is what gets off the grime and dirt. Unless you have a lot of faith and you put the dishes in the dishwasher with food on it. We'll talk about that in our marriage series coming up. But anyway, <laughs> let's start here. We'll start with 400 BC, we'll go all the way to up here to 20, 22 AD. I'm gonna cover a lot of time. So we have Plato here. Before him, you'd have Socrates over here, pre-Socratic philosophers, Aristotle follows here, we won't go there. But then we're gonna skip way ahead here to the 1600s, 1600 AD. And by the way, this is not to scale. I know we have some smart people in here that are, you know, engineers and, you know, a lot of math. I know it's not to scale. I know. My East defensive today. So you have Rene Descartes, okay? Very important th thinker, mathematician, philosopher. We looked at last week. You have Jean-Jacques Rousseau, another incredibly influential thinker, philosopher. He was one of the harbingers of the French Revolution and other wonderful things. And then we move here to, so he's in the 1700s, roughly again. 1800s, critical figure there. We'll get there next week. 1900s. These are not exact dates, Sigmund Freud, and we'll just mark this 1960. So from here, from really pre-Plato, thinkers and philosophers, the sense of identity was basically this. Um, God is Therefore, I am. And then it moved from Descartes, when Descartes said, boom, I think, which is good, that would do a lot of people a lot of good, by the way. <laughs> Therefore, I am to this postmodern era where we are today to, I feel, I emote, therefore, I am. So, oh wow, so you see, look at that marker's village there. You see the uh, evolution, if you would, of our identity. So back here, you know, I, I know, Plato, you know Plato believed in some for, form of God, so did Socrates, but then the Christian, Judeo-Christian era, people assumed that there was a God, there was objective reality outside of us, and we have to conform to that objective reality. 
So God is, therefore I am, I must be true to God. Now with the cart, we made a huge move in the culture as we move from something is already there externally and beyond us, God, that we're responsible to and to align our lives to, to Descartes thinking, no, I'm gonna be the starting point of my thought. And he went inward, I think, I'm a thinking psychological person, therefore I am, and through my thoughts and through my reason, I can then figure out things outside of me. Huge shift in the way we look at our identity and who we are. Rousseau went and said, I desire, therefore I am. And the reason I can't be free is because of society, because of religion, because of rules. That needs to be abolished. You know, let's, let's just, you know, let's kill the government, let's strangle the priest, is what he said. And that's what happened. And, you know, he changed it, it pushed it a little bit further than Descartes. Freud comes along in the 1900s, late 1800s, 1900s, and really, he sexualized our identity and said, I feel, therefore I am, or I'm a sexual being, I have sexual desires, and that is going to define me. So you go here from a psychologized sense of identity and self, I think, therefore I am, and the screen should reflect that somewhere, psychologized, cue the slide, and it moves from there to a sexualized identity, Okay, I feel therefore I am. And then that moves even further to a uh, politicized identity because I feel this way, celebrate me, therefore I am. And that's where we are in our culture today. That's a little bit quickly, I know there are a lot of gaps in that, but that's a little bit about how we have evolved. If you look and, and respect the thinkers such as say, Charles Taylor or Carl Truman or James Lindsay. That's how we've evolved at our understanding of who we are as individuals, okay? The big change was here, that movement from you know, the, the pre-modern era to the modern era and the enlightenment, and now we're full-blown post-modernity with this type of uh, chaotic, in my opinion, fragmented, understanding of our own identity. And now because, I mean, there's so many ways as we could go here, because of technology, because of the internet, because of all this connectivity worldwide, we have all these multiple narratives, multiple identities, all this information at the click of our phone. So no wonder it's so confusing growing up in the Western world today, wondering who in the world am I? All that security that we had here and even here in modernity has been ripped to shreds. Now, with that, I think there's been what, what I would consider some really bad results. So for example, ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences. But listen, I believe deceptive ideas have devastating consequences. And we're at a point of devastation, I think, if not on the brink of it, in our culture. What are some of the devastating consequences? Well, one would be the family has been utterly fragmented and almost obliterated in our world today. So with the loss of family, it's a loss of a sense of identity to be named, 
One of the most powerful forces, the ability to name someone and you get your name from your father, from your parents. It's like in Stranger Things, they give numbers to people, right? Sequential numbers to dehumanize them. Okay, so the family is almost, it's not obliterated in our society today, but it's greatly fragmented. And the pain and the confusion, the identity confusion, it causes both parents and wives and husbands and kids is unbelievable. I've experienced that personally. It's horrific. So when the family has been broken up, when the family has been fragmented, people are searching for community, whether it's online, whether it's through a group, through its sexuality, whether it's through a race, through it's through a language, whether it's through, well, I'm searching for an identity. And we kind of, in our culture, have kind of retreated into tribes. The more the family breaks down, the more we retreat into a sense of tribalism in the culture. So the family and its fragmentation has been one of the devastating consequences of this whole evolution or devolution, if you would. Uh, freedom, it's kind of an important thing in America and the Western world as far as the culture is concerned, freedom. Basic freedoms have become almost forbidden in our world today. Free speech, free speech, it's gone. Some people want to label free speech hate speech. And hate speech is simply a fancy word of speech that I disagree with. We, we, we grew up in a time and before we all were here where people would say, I may disagree with you and what you're saying, but I will defend to the death your right to say that. Free speech is what separated the Western world, the United States from China, Soviet Union, Cuba for decades and decades, but free speech is being thrown out the window in our society and people are telling you what you should say and what you shouldn't say. How many times have my kids or your kids said to you, well, you can't say that anymore. Not that you shouldn't say that, you can't say that. Free speech is gone, and with free speech being gone, freedom of religion is gone. Why? Because freedom of religion, as is categorized by some people and will continue to be, will be considered hate speech. It will be considered a criminal offense to disagree with someone's identity. If you disagree with their sexual expression and how they express that, if you don't accept them and celebrate them, then you're causing them harm. They don't feel safe. They feel like they're hurt. And that's just as bad and criminal if you take out a machete and chopped off someone's big toe. So freedom of religion, freedom of speech, what, what has been the building block of our culture for centuries is in great jeopardy today. Freedoms are now forbidden. What else? The future. It's frightening. Have a nice day. It's frightening. It's chaotic. It's crazy. When I find myself agreeing with Bill Maher than most pastors in America, something is wrong. Bill Maher, no friend of the Christian faith, 
but he understands what's happening in many ways in our culture today and the lack of freedoms and the craziness that's happening out there. When you have people and some politicians and some groups pushing, pushing a, you know, bizarre, abhorrent, in my opinion, view of sex and sexuality on kindergartners and want to codify that into law, that, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. I, I'm not the only one saying that. There are many people in our society, inside and outside of the church context, that are saying that and speaking to that. It's future. <laughs> I mean, when you're, when you're, you know, saying that psychology, my thoughts, I, what I think, what I feel is over biology, the physical reality of who I am externally and internally and who you are, that, but I feel and I think is more real than what's real when your feelings are over facts, <laughs> when your emotions are more important than truth. Your emotions create truth. There is no more truth, just multiple realities, and we're just diminishing into power plays and language games and manipulation. And it's a scary place to be, to be alive. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been talking about these things and writing about these things almost for for 30 years now, I just never thought it would go mainstream. I really didn't think it had that type of weight, but lo and behold, here we are. Here we are. That's affected all of us, all of us. This, this evolution of what it means to be human, this evolution of identity and self. So with that, what does God's word have to say to us about who we are and how we respond? Let's turn back to the book of E. Let's say it together. E, E, I like that, E, Ephesians. And let's read that verse 15 again. It says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. What are we to do? We are to speak the truth and love. We live in a culture that wants to divorce truth and love. No, they're always together. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, grace and truth. The logos is the word become flesh, grace and truth. So we're to speak the truth in love as parents, as parents. As parents, our responsibility is to protect our children. The internet, Disney, et cetera, are not our friends at all. We're to protect our children as best we can. We're to provide for our children as best we can. And we're to prepare our children for the future and what lies ahead, the best that we can. That's our responsibility of parent, as parents. Whether you are a single parent family, an intact family or whatever, that's our job. That's our job. Speak the truth in love to our, our kids. 
Second of all, politically, how do we do that? Politically, we have to be involved. Politically, we have to be informed and take action locally where we can to make a difference in our public schools and other areas. We have to be involved in the political arena. How about personally? Personally. Because the issues that we're talking about, this evolution of self that I tried to lay out there on the glass board, okay, it's not just, oh, that's what's going on out there, right? No, it's all that is going on in here. In here, we are struggling, most of us are struggling with a sense of identity in one way or another, whether it's emotional, whether it's sexual or psychological or financial or economic, man, we're struggling with identity to understand who we are. Some of us have struggles over here in this area and these desires, others of us have struggles right here, but we're all struggling in some sense. So it's personal. And, and Jesus is always, you know, calling us to himself, right? When, when Jesus found people caught in the, the web, let's say, of confusion in, in, in relational world or sexual immorality to the lady that was caught in adultery, he welcomed her and said, no one condemns you, I forgive you. And he said, and keep on leaning into that and do that the rest of your life, young lady. No, he didn't say that, okay? He said, no, I don't forgive you, I don't condemn you. Go and live a different life, go and sin no more. When Nathan uh, confronted David and his adultery, Nathan didn't say, David, that's a great idea, lean into that, that's who you are. No, he called him to repent, to change his direction, to live a new way, and to somehow try to regain that sense of becoming a man after God's own heart. When he called Zacchaeus in that big financial mess, he didn't say to Zacchaeus, hey, that's a great idea. Keep defrauding people financially. Keep lying to them, Zacchaeus. And you know, just go get a fish and put it on the back of your car and everything will be okay. No, he said, give, change your ways. Change the way you do business. So when, when God in Christ meets us where we are, he meets us many times. Yes, to love us, yes, to forgive us, but to lead us in a different path and in a different way. So personally, we have to go to God and go back to God and ask him to help us to live a life that we need to live, to help us to walk better down that path of holiness, which is something deeper and something better for us. Who am I? Who are you? Who, who am I? If I'm someone who's chosen to believe in God and trust in Christ, who am I? Who are you? Who am I? I'm fallen, yet forgiven. I'm broken, yet beautiful. I'm lost, 
yet learning to live and walk in a new way. To become who God says I am. In the midst of this pessimistic realism, the good news is Freud will not win the day, but the gospel will. That's good news.